and it's you. A very good morning to you and welcome to Church at 10. Lovely to see you all and uh, welcome to anybody who's joining us online as well. We are continuing our series looking at uh, the letter of 1 Timothy this morning and John Langridge is our preacher and preaching under the heading The Gospel of the Glory of God. Uh, just a couple of notices, or one for me, and then James has a notice. Uh, first aid training is happening on Saturday, uh, and we are asking that if you are involved with a church activity or a church group, that please somebody from that group comes to first aid training uh, and does that training. So that the training is all day Saturday, this coming Saturday, 9.30 to 4.30 in the church foyer. Uh, if you haven't yet signed up and you would like to, it's not too late, uh, just email Sarah in the office and she'll put you on the list. Thank you. Uh, James, you've got a notice as well. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, just a, a quick kind of advance uh, notice. Um, on Saturday, March the 2nd, um, the, the UK's kind of leading Christian drama group called Riding Lights are bringing their Easter drama here to Christchurch. I think this is a wonderfully exciting opportunity to kind of reach out to friends and family and, and the community generally. Um, they're very kind of outgoing evangelistic um, style um, and, and really great dramas. I've seen one of them in Coventry Cathedral a few years ago on climate change. So it's a really super group um, coming here and it's really great to, to have them. So. Um, this is advance notice. Um, there'll be stuff on the website and, and um, Facebook pages uh, later on. But really, if you could come spread the word, think about who you might be able to invite to come along um, and see the drama, um, that would be great. Um, and we need one, one kind of big area of help is they've got a team of five people and they'll need accommodation for either, the, I'm not sure whether it's for the night before on the Friday or the night after is on the Saturday. But one of those two nights, they'll need accommodation for, for team members. So if anybody in the church is able to offer uh, a room and, and breakfast, yes, that means it must be the Friday night, um, to any of the team members, uh, that would be great. Come, please come and see me. But do put the date in your diary and think about who you could kind of bring along more publicity later. So thanks very much. Okay, so we're going to have our call to worship and there'll be some words on the screen uh, to join in with as we, uh, as we gather here to worship God. Let everything be said and done in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through Jesus Christ. Sing psalms and hymns and sacred songs. Let us sing to God with thankful hearts. Open our lips, Lord and we shall praise your name. So let's stand and indeed do that together. Let's sing.
So as we have gathered to worship our holy God, we're going to say some words together uh, which will lead us into our confession. So do join in these words that are on the screen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you 
and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Do have a seat. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins, to be our advocate in heaven and to bring us to eternal life. So we come to confess our sins in penitence and faith, firmly resolved to keep God's commandments and to live in love and peace with all. So now we're going to say sorry to God and ask him to forgive us. Please join in with the words in bold type. Jesus Christ, risen Master and triumphant Lord, we come to you in sorrow for our sins and confess to you our weakness and unbelief. We have lived by our own strength and not by the power of your resurrection. In your mercy, forgive us. Lord, hear us and help us. We have lived by the light of our own eyes as faithless and, un and not believing. In your mercy, forgive us. Lord, hear us and help us. We have lived for this world alone and doubted our home in heaven. In your mercy, forgive us. Lord, hear us and help us. And so as we receive the forgiveness of God, may the God of love and power forgive us and free us from our sins. Heal and strengthen us by his spirit and raise us to new life in Christ. Amen. So at this point, uh, young people are going to go out, uh, children are going to go with Ian and Harriet, and uh, any secondary school age people are going to go out with Ellie and Jack. So they're groups. So um, if you're in those categories, please to uh, be invited, warmly invited to go out with the leaders. And uh, let's pray for them, shall we, as they go. Father, we thank you for all the young people associated with our church. Uh, we pray your blessing upon them, your hand be upon them, Lord, as they gather in their, group, in their groups. Uh, be with their leaders to inspire them with your love. And uh, may each and every one, Lord, be empowered to serve you uh, where they are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, off they go. They'll come back in for communion later. And uh, we're going to stand and sing again. Uh, a wonderful song before the throne of God above. Uh, then we'll have our Bible reading. Before the throne of God above. I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart, I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me then depart. No tongue can bid me then depart. When Satan tempts me to despair 
and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there, who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. My just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me, to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, my great unchangeable I am. seated and Richard is going to bring us up by reading. The reading is from the first letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. This is on page 1191 of the Church Bible. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. This is the word of the Lord. So let's pray for John as he comes to preach. Father, we pray uh, for John as he preaches, as he speaks from your word. Uh, We pray, Lord, that we would be open and attentive and indeed obedient in our lives. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Good 
Good morning. Wow. We are awake at the moment, and that's a, that's a good start, isn't it? I don't know what you thought when you heard that reading. When I first looked at it, I thought, ah, ouch, I wonder what that's all about. But uh, I hope we shall see. I hope we shall see. Well, this is the second in the series uh, based on 1 Timothy. And uh, Peter highlighted last week that Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus to deal with some very specific problems in the church there. Uh, Timothy is told to command some of the teachers to stop preaching. Strong words. So there must have been something very seriously going wrong there. And we need to understand a little bit of what those teachers were saying in order to understand these verses 8 to 11. So just in the previous verses, verses we read that these teachers were promoting myths and genealogies. Now you've read some genealogies, haven't you? There are loads in, in uh, books like uh, Genesis and that. Uh, so, so, so this guy begat this one and begat somebody else and then they... There's a lot of begatting going on, and they trace the, the history of, of families. Well, these teachers had expanded these genealogies. They'd added lots of people, and then they'd also added lots of stories about those people, which had no basis in fact. They were fictitious, and it's all nonsense, really. And in doing so, in concentrating on those things, they'd abandoned the sound doctrine of the gospel. And they'd led people down blind alleys and dead ends. And they generated controversy and dispute. All meaningless nonsense. And it just served to divide people. And, and cause uh, lots of um, conversation between them about pe things that were, really weren't important. Ain't people arguing about how many angels on the head of a pin. Or how many vicars it takes to change a light bulb, you know. There, that would be one of the questions in, for home groups later on. How many? Yeah, yeah. But they weren't learning about Jesus and God's wonderful grace. They had become, as Hendrickson says in his commentary, puffed up, arrogant, boastful, haughty, and self-righteous. They lacked humility and the consciousness of guilt. It's no wonder... Paul says to Timothy, stop these guys doing this. So for them, these teachers, the law was not important. They considered themselves somehow beyond it, and they had lost their way. And in verse 7 we read, they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Focusing on this speculation and all these fanciful myths, it made them seem clever, but it was very destructive to the community of believers. And Paul goes on to say then at the beginning of our passage, we know that the law is good. Now, there, there are three ways in which the law is good and helpful. Firstly, the law shows us what sin is. You know, Paul writing in Romans, uh, Romans 7, he points out that without the law, we wouldn't know what sin is. He says, 
I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. The law makes us aware of what sin is and indeed our own sin. And in neglecting the law, the false teachers were never aware that they were sinners. And a consequence of being aware of our own sin and being overwhelmed with sorrow because of it is that we are driven to the cross. The law reveals sin, it condemns the sinner and shows them a need for the Saviour. So the law is essential to the gospel. Without an awareness of sin, there's no need for the cross. This is a key element of the gospel which which cannot be left out. And secondly, the law restrains evildoers. And this is most clearly seen, the law of the land. The law of the land which restrains people from doing just exactly what they feel like doing. It helps us to live in harmony together. Here's an example. You want to drive on the left. I want to drive on the right. The law, the law helps us to stop crashing in the middle. See, the law uh, helps us. It provides guidelines to promote a healthy community and to avoid individual excess. And thirdly, the law provides instruction and training in godly living. How do we know how to live holy lives, enjoying God's best? Well, the law tells us. For us, the law is this whole book. Paul and his buddies, they they had the Old Testament. They had the the prophets and the Ten Commandments. We have all this wonderful teaching from from Jesus and the first uh, apostles as well. That's the law for us. And we've got all those detailed instructions on how to live in God's love. So the law convicts unbelieving sinners and leads them to the Savior. The law instructs Christian sinners, helping them to grow in faith and to experience the best God has for them. That's why reading this book is important. In ignoring the law and thinking it was not important, these teachers thought themselves righteous and they failed to recognize that they were sinners. Now look at verse 9. I hope you've got the Bible open. When you read, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and the sinful. Now, perhaps you thought, we as believers, if you're a believer, you're on the side of the righteous. And that Paul is saying, we Christians are righteous. We don't need the law. We've been justified. We've been saved. We're free from the law. The law is just for those terrible people who don't know God yet. Well, um, when he says the law is not for the righteous, he actually means it's not for those who think themselves righteous. The law is not for the self-righteous. They have no need for the law. The law is wasted on them because they don't think it's important and they don't think they need anything to change. They are righteous. They are all right. Forget the law. It doesn't matter. Paul says it's wasted on them. He says the law is for sinners. 
and Paul counts himself among them. Did you realise that? Paul counts himself among them. Later in the chapter, he's talking about sinners and he said, of whom I am one of the worst. And he says, yes, he's been saved by the grace of God. He's secure in his standing, he's forgiven, he's confident of eternal life. But he is still very much aware that he is not perfect and that he needs to be honest about the ongoing sin in his life. Again, going back to Romans 7, Paul says, doesn't he, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, that I keep on doing. He said, I keep messing up. I don't do the right thing all the time. Sometimes I do the wrong thing. I hate it, but that's the way it is. Paul admits he's a sinner. The law is good. Indeed, the law is vital. The false teachers thought themselves righteous and didn't pay any attention to it. Paul understood the value of the law and its purpose and freely identifies himself before the law as a sinner. Isn't that where we all are? I'm John Langridge. And I'm a sinner. And I'm not doing that to, you know, in sarcasm to the people with AA. Quite the reverse. Because those folks have recognized their problem. They are honest and straightforward about it. They voice it. They own it. They're prepared to say that and express determination to change and move on. And that's where we should be as well. This is why in our liturgy, very early in the service, we have a confession, an acknowledgement before God that we come as sinners and, and, and that we, we're called to repentance. It's, it's one of my little hobby horses. Um, James, our church warden, has a, when he joined our home group, he said, I've got, a, I've got some hobby horses. He's got a whole stable of them, actually. <laughs> But you know, that's all right. What he's saying is these are things that I'm passionate about. And one of my hobby horses is that some of the more modern confessions don't really focus on admitting our failings and our guilt. Today's was very good. Today's was very good. But it's, it's important that we own our sin and we voice our sorrow. And I like the confessions actually where we do it ourselves. Not that somebody reads it out for us and we say, yeah, okay. Uh, well, you stand there and I say, I have failed in thought and word and deed. And Lord, I come in sorrow for my sin. I think it's important that we express that. And this comes at the beginning of the service for a very good and important reason. How can we celebrate and rejoice when we have not properly sorted things out with God? Uh, I'll try and explain it like this. Carolyn and I have been married over 50 years. Now, I know she's a real hero, isn't she? Um, she's going to be made a saint. She is a saint already, but you know it's going to be recognized. 50 years with me. And there are times, mercifully few, when we have a falling out. And then for a while, there's an atmosphere in the house. And I stomp around grumpily until I come to my senses 
and apologize and say that I was in the wrong and we clear the air and then we can enjoy the uh, mutual love and support and comfort that we share in all its fullness. While I'm stomping around in a strop, we are still married. We're just not enjoying the full benefits of that relationship. The relationship's spoiled, just somehow. Likewise, confession, dealing with our failures, clearing the air. It's important in our relationship with God if we are to enjoy his best. We are indeed saved by grace, but that doesn't make us perfect. Does anyone here think they're perfect? Just come and have a chat afterwards. Oh, can set you straight. I, uh, Spurgeon, there was a story about Spurgeon that he was having lunch with some guy, and this guy was going on and on and on about how uh, the old man was dead and it was new and everything was perfect. Sturgeon got, Spurgeon, not Sturgeon, that's a fish. Sir, he got fed up with this and he picked up a glass of water and threw it at him. And the guy, what did you do it? Well, how dare you? What a... And, and Sturgeon says, well, uh, I see the old man was not dead after all. He was merely asleep and needed a glass of water to revive him. I think that's lovely. Pointing out that we're all failures. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from every kind of wrong. We all fail every day and we should acknowledge that and deal with it through confession. And as I edge closer to God over the years, 60 years or so now, As I get closer, inch by inch, the more aware I am of my sin. The old hymn puts it best, those who long to serve him best are conscious most of wrong within. Pretending there's nothing wrong is unhealthy for our spiritual lives. If we don't understand sin, if we don't take it seriously, we will never fully appreciate the wonder of grace. Whatever we've done or left undone, God still loves us to bits. And clearing the air with him in confession allows us to receive in richer and fuller ways all that he has for us. Now we move on. Because Paul goes on to identify how sin was evidenced in the society around him. And it's a list of awful things, isn't it? We may think it's tough being a Christian in our world, but it was no easier in Paul's, Paul's time. They had lots of false gods and all sorts of terrible things going on. As, as Barclay comments, he said, this passage shows us that the Christian church in Paul's day was an island of purity in a vicious world. The church, an island of purity in a vicious world. 
And Paul describes that world in graphic terms, the lawless, the insubordinate, the irreligious, the sinful, uh, those who are uh, defying the law and authority, indifference to God, no moral standards to speak of. And then he goes on, and some of these last verses in sort of uh, 8 and 9 and 10, if you look at them and do this in your home groups, they actually line up with the Ten Commandments very much about our relationships with each other. The last five commandments are are there in that passage. And the the society of his day had abandoned those commandments. They'd thrown them out and were doing what they wanted. And that was the world that Paul lived in. Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't it sound like Paul wrote this last week about our world? about our society where the law of God which underpinned our laws gave us our values all that slowly being dismantled and the rot is now beginning to be seen and in many ways the church has been infected as well it has compromised and gone with the flow I'm not talking about this this church I'm talking about the church in this country church in the western hemisphere compromised, gone with the flow, and we need to sort that out, and we need to repent. So Hendricks comments, he he says, having described the sinful attributes prevalent in society of his day, Paul admits that they describe him too. And that's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? But it's not to say that Paul had done all these terrible things. Paul hadn't murdered his mother and father or uh, committed perjury or adultery or any of that stuff. Think about the autumn when we studied the Ten Commandments and we discovered, perhaps to our surprise, that when considered alongside the commandments, many of our attitudes and desires and the way we are and behave really were very flawed. It seems like drip, 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 drip of compromise has all almost subconsciously infected the declining standards and values of the society around us. And, and that's, what, that's what was happened with Paul. Paul could see that in subtle ways he was influenced by the flavor of the sinful society around him, as are we. He was indeed a sinner, as are we. Another finish, I must just place all this in the context of grace. Paul knew he was a sinner saved by grace. He knew the amazing price that had been paid for him on the cross. He was aware that he deserved nothing from God, but had received rich blessings of a free pardon, an amazing extravagant love of God poured out on him. And he knew that he was secure forever in that light. That is the glorious gospel of the blessed God, as he calls it at the end of our passage. But within that, he knew that he was not perfect. He knew that keeping short accounts with God and acknowledging his failures was important and it would allow him to receive the very best God had for him. Isn't that what we all want? Don't you want that? The very 
best that God has for you. Well, if we're going, if we're going to desire that, we need to take confession and repentance very seriously. And then we will discover the amazing depths of the wonder of God's grace for us. Amen. And we're going to sing a song now, and it's one that I don't think sung here for a while. Uh, it's, oh Lord, the clouds are gathering, the fire of judgment burns. Now, this is quite a lively song, and it can be sung quite boisterously. But let's just reflect, because these are very serious words. These words say, Lord, our society is in deep trouble. We have messed up. We have failed. We look around us, and we see hate and violence and all sorts of terrible things. Lord, have mercy. Lord, forgive us. And it acknowledges the, the role of the church in this. It says, Lord, sort our church out. So I've asked John uh, if, he, if he can just uh, take it down a gear from his usual uh, lively style so that we can, we can actually express our repentance. We sing this appropriately in humility, uh, seeking God's mercy. God's grace. So we stand to sing. Oh Lord, the clouds are gathering, the fire of judgment burns. How we have fallen. Oh Lord, you stand appalled to see your laws of love so scorned and life so broken have mercy Lord forgive us Lord restore us Lord revive your church again let justice flow like rivers and righteousness like a never-failing stream. Oh, Lord, over the nations now, where is the dove of peace? Her wings are broken. Oh, Lord, while Jesus Stop the wounds of war increase. The dread is so. Have mercy, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Restore us, Lord. Revive your church again. Let justice flow like rivers and righteousness like a never-failing stream. Oh Lord, dark clouds are poised to flood our streets with hate and fear. We must awaken oh Lord, that 
to have our intercessions now, our prayers, and in our intercessions today, when I say, Jesus, Master, please would you respond, have mercy on us, Lord. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, Lord. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, if we have died with you, we will live with you. If we endure, we will reign with you. And so we pray to you for all the needs and concerns on our minds and hearts this morning, knowing that you always remain faithful and that you hear our prayers. Lord, we do indeed pray for the church. We pray for your church here in Baston Hill and your church throughout this land and your church throughout the world. We pray that we will shine like the stars for you as we proclaim the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God. We pray that our lives will mirror our words and that many this year will come to know you, Lord Jesus, as their saviour and friend. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. O God, in your might and power, you reign and rule forever. And your eyes keep watch over the nations. We pray for our country, our community, and all in authority. We pray for peace among the nations. And we lift to you all those who are striving for justice and mercy in conflict situations around the globe. Give them your courage and your love for those who are in strife. 
Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Lord of the universe and leader of your people, give wisdom to all those who exercise authority. Teach them to put the good of the many before the greed of the few. Help them to love truth and to hate falsehood and corruption. And above all, urge them to remember that the one who would be the greatest must learn to be the servant of all. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus, as you heal the ten lepers in Galilee and Samaria, we pray that you would heal those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. And so in a moment of quiet, I invite you to lift to the Lord those you know who, ne who need his healing touch right now. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. O God, we remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. And remember for, before you those who have died in the faith of Christ, that they may rest with Jesus in eternal glory. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And we leave all these prayers at your footstool, O Lord and ask them in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to sing our offertory song now, and uh, then we'll share the peace. So let's stand and sing, Thank you for the cross, Lord.
to share the peace now with each other, uh, the peace that Jesus has won for us by dying on the cross. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And so let's share the peace with each other in memory, of course, to respect those who want a little bit of distance.
The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to praise you, Father, Lord of all creation. In your love you made us for yourselves. When we turned away, you did not reject us, but came to meet us in your Son. You embraced us as your children and welcomed us to sit and eat with you. In Christ you shared our life that we might live in him and he in us. He opened his arms of love upon the cross and made on all the perfect sacrifice for sin. On the night he was betrayed and suffered his friends, he took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to them saying, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we do this in remembrance of him. His body is the bread of life. At the end of supper, taking the cup, again he praised you. He gave you thanks and said, drink this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Father, we do this in remembrance of him. His blood is shed for all. As we proclaim his death and celebrate his rising in glory, send your Holy Spirit that this bread and this wine may be to us the body and blood of your dear Son. As we eat and drink these holy gifts, make us one in Christ, our risen Lord. With your whole church throughout the world, we offer you this sacrifice of praise and lift our voice to join the eternal song of heaven. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. As our Saviour has taught us, so we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. Draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood, which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. We'll continue our normal custom of sharing communion, uh, the bread being distributed from the middle table and the wine from either side, and the non-alcoholic wine will be on that side of the church, and he will be guided forward.
who are thirsty, all who are weak, come to the fountain, dip your heart in the stream of life, let the pain and the sorrow be washed in the waves of his mercy as deep cries unto deep we sing come Lord Jesus come come Lord Jesus Oh, 
Body of Christ, keep you in eternal life. Amen. And the blood of Christ, keep you in eternal life. Amen.
let's pray this prayer together following Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. And let's lift on all those who can't be with us in church this morning. Father, we lift you those who are unable to be with us in church. We pray that you would touch them and heal them, body, mind, and spirit. Enable them to know your love and your power at work in their lives. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So, would you like to feedback, uh, Ian, um, Ellie, maybe, uh, about what you've been doing in your, in your groups? Um, do come up to the microphone over here uh, to do that. So, um, do come on up. Good morning, everyone. What we did at Children's Club is we looked at the subject of New Year's resolutions. And it's easy to think of New Year's resolutions as things like doing a bit more exercise or losing a bit of weight. Because New Year's resolutions can also be very, very faith-based as well. So it's things like read the Bible more, pray more, or as we were encouraged to do last week at, because I attended uh, St. Paul's in Covent Garden, was to take a piece of chalk and write on the front door of your home, God bless this house, and then pray for your home and your family. Now, Harry's and I had a bit of a chat, and we thought we wouldn't be popular if we gave the children pieces of chalk and they went around. So what we did instead was we wrote uh, on a piece of card, God bless this house, and the children drew a picture of their homes and their families. And the idea is, is for them to put on the door and just to pray for their homes and their families during the course of the week and the year ahead. something um, quite similar with New Year's resolutions um, today. So we thought a little bit about what New Year's resolutions we've made, we made this year or in previous years and how well we've kept to them, which we're not really good at keeping to them, is what we found out. But we realised that actually through um, our New Year's resolutions and goals that we've set, like how can we bring God into that? We spoke a little bit about how we can um, pray about them, how we can talk to our friends about them. And actually, what can we do to bring God into our goals this year? So we ended um, by creating um, a little thing that we're not going to open until next January. But we've written three goals in here. One personal to us, one to do with either school or college or um, our jobs, and one God goal that maybe we can improve in our relationship with God this year, whether it's reading the Bible more or praying more. We're not going to open them until next year, but we've been thinking about how we can bring God into our goals every day. Wonderful. 
Thank you, uh, children, our young people, and their leaders. Uh, I haven't had a chance to say thank you, John, for your sermon as well. It's really, really good. So thank you indeed for that. Um, we are going to stand and sing our, <clears throat> our final song, Jesus, Hope of the Nations. He is the hope of the nations, isn't he? He is the one we look to uh, for all that is good in our lives. So let's stand and sing, Jesus, Hope of the Nations. Jesus, hope of the nations, Jesus, comfort for all who mourn. You are the source of heaven's hope on earth. Jesus, light in the darkness, Jesus, truth in each circumstance. You are the source of heaven's light on earth. In history, you lived and died, you broke the chains, you rose to life. You are the hope living in us, you are the rock in whom we trust. You are the light shining for all the world to see. You rose with the dead, come bringing sin, offerings of peace, drawing us near. Jesus, our hope, living for all the world to see. Lord, we believe. Jesus, hope of the nations. Jesus, comfort for all who mourn. You are the source of heaven's light on earth. Jesus, light in the darkness. Jesus, truth in each circumstance. You are the source of heaven, light on earth. In history, you lived and died. You broke the chains, you rose to life. You are the hope living in us. You are the rock in whom we trust. You are the light shining for all the world to see. You rose from the dead, conquering fear, our Prince of Peace, drawing us near. Jesus, our hope, living for all the world to receive. Lord, we believe. Lord, we believe. Lord, we So go now and take hold of the life that really is life. Shun the eagerness for money, but be rich in good works. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And may God be your refuge and fortress. May Christ Jesus free you from all that ensnares you. And may the Holy Spirit provide you with everything for godliness and contentment. And so we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name, in the of, name Christ. of Christ. Amen. Amen.